0: Follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about developing a strong spirit. This is lesson number four. And just a quick review, our primary text being Proverbs 4. Eighteen, verse 14. Look at what it says. The strong spirit of a man sustains him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit who can raise up or bear. So the spirit of a man can be strong or the spirit of a man can be weak. I believe we'd rather have a strong than a weak spirit. Amen? And then uh, in the process, we talked about Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourself. You are awake on this Sunday morning. Be strong, how? In the Lord, in the power of His might. Now notice this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, sufficient power, resources, and strength to stand against the wiles of the devil. In the book of Ephesians, in the first few chapters, he talks about our position in Christ. And then he talks about practical Christianity in the next few chapters. In the last chapter, he says, Finally, finally, Notice he didn't start with this. He started with our position in Christ. We're seated with him in the high heavenly places. He talked about our walk, our practical walk in Christ. And then thirdly, he says, now finally what's left to do? Well, what is it that's left to do? Clothe yourself, be strong in the Lord and clothe yourself in the armor of God that you can stand against the wiles, the trickery, the strategies, schemes of all the devils. Wow, that should speak to our hearts. He didn't say go running from church to church, go running from meeting to meeting. He said, you know what? Get strong. Get strong in the Lord and the power of his mind and you'll be able to stand against every strategy of the devil. You think he's talking about spiritual maturity? He sure is, isn't he? Absolutely. Thank God for the helps along the way. But you get to a place that he says, look, church at Ephesus, you want to stand against all the powers of darkness, then be strong in the Lord. Amen. So, we talked about the armor of God. And the armor of God is what enables us to stand against the wiles of the devil. And think about this. David was going to face Goliath. Saul said, use my armor. David said, haven't proven that. No way. Why would I want your armor when I have the armor of God? Think about it. I don't want your armor. I want the armor of God. The same thing is true with all of us. If we're going to arm ourselves with anything, it should be the armor of God. God provides for us His protective armor so we can stand against anything and everything the devil throws our way. We talked about, first of all, the belt of truth and how important it is for us to rightly divide the word of truth And know the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free. In other words, we need to have a good working knowledge, revelation, and understanding of what truly truth is. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Didn't he? And he said, my word is truth. Right? So that's on us to get a working knowledge of the truth of God's word. And that holds all of our armor in place. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness And that protects our vital organs, the heart and the lungs, the vital organs to survive. Well, the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. It's the breastplate of righteousness, which means our right standing with God. And the only way you and I can have right standing with God is through the work of Christ. He was made sin for us who knew no sin to make us the righteousness of God in Christ. So when the devil brings accusations our way, pointing out our faults, our failures, our shortcomings and all that, we're supposed to do what? Look to the shield of the breastplate of righteousness, rather, use that and declare, I'm righteous before God, devil, not based on my performance, but based on the performance of Christ. And because of that, I have a relationship with God. You see, to understand righteousness, we have to understand this there's justification and sanctification, there's righteousness that comes by virtue of the work of Christ. And then because we're still living in a fallen flesh, is your flesh still fallen? You're going to make mistakes along the way? Absolutely. But guess what? You don't break relationship, you break fellowship. And if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and my sin and cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. So when it comes to understanding this breastplate of righteousness, number one, it's positional in Christ. I am righteous because He was made sin for me. But secondly, when I miss the mark, I get it back under the blood. And praise God, I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness. And I perfect holiness in the fear of God. Well, thirdly, remember this, he said to do it with all diligence. Protect your heart with all diligence, because out of it flow the issues of life. Now we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this is talking about the Roman soldier's sandals that he wears. Now, a sandal sounds like something you wouldn't be wearing off the battle, but it's not like a sandal that we would be thinking of. Those sandals had studs on the bottom of them that would help them stay secure, whether they're just marching through life or whether they're at war and in battle. How important it is for us to recognize the fact that we need to have something to stabilize us and keep us on the right path so that we don't slip or slide, especially when it comes to warfare or battle. And it's very easy for us to do so unless we have on what? Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace. It's peace. So here we have another piece of armor that is to be used in our lives to keep us on the right path. Whether just marching through life or whether we're experiencing a time of warfare, we need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, let's talk about peace for just a moment. When it comes to understanding peace, we need to understand the meaning of peace. The word peace in the Hebrew is shalom, right? What does that word mean? It's a word that means perfect welfare, perfect being in a person's life, whether it's your health, whether it's your prosperity, whether it's harmony, living in harmony with other people, whether it's wholeness. But it's removing from our lives anything that hinders our contentment. And so he wants us to shod our feet with this preparation of the gospel of peace, knowing that, number one, we need peace with God to be secure and safe walking through this life. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm... Years ago, I read, I believe it was Billy Graham's book about peace. And it was wonderful just to read these verses of Scripture that revealed to me, I've got peace with God. How important is that statement? When man was banished from the presence of God, he had no ability to have a reunion with God. He had no way of having peace with God. He's an enemy of God. But because of the finished work of Christ, thanks be unto God, we've got peace with God. You talk about peace in a person's soul. Thank God for the peace of God that passes all understanding. Aren't you glad you've been justified by faith? And now because of that, you've got peace with God through whom? Jesus, through our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Something to point out very specifically to all of us. Follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, we sometimes emphasize holiness, but what about peace? Follow peace with all men. Wow, what a statement. So what he's trying to tell us is this, that you and I are to actively seek to reconcile to God and let them know that they can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but then also we are to actively seek to have peace among ourselves with other people. That we promote peace in all forms of relationships. Look in the book of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Blessed are the troublemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Oh. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. God has called us all to be peacemakers. Peacemakers not troublemakers. And so as peacemakers, it's our responsibility to do everything we possibly can to achieve peace, to get people to have peace with God, be reconciled to God, and then promote peace among ourselves, among one another. Sometimes it's uh, family relationships where there's no peace. Sometimes it's work relationships and co-laborers and all that where there's no peace, but we should be individuals that are actively seeking to have peace among ourselves with God and other people as well. Now, when it comes to misconceptions about peace, look at John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 16, rather, verse 33. Look at what it says. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So now notice this. Our peace is found in Him, even though we're living in a fallen world. In the world, we will have what? Tribulation. He didn't say in the world, you're going to have lives that are perfect without any conflict whatsoever. You're not going to have obstacles, challenges, situations to deal with. We're all going to face those difficult situations and challenges in life. But he said what? In me, you find your peace. If we're looking forward in others, it's never going to happen. But it's up to us to recognize that. And realize that. And so it's up to us to be people that know what to do when this trouble comes. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look at verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. Now we could rewrite that and say be worrisome about everything, be full of anxiety, and in everything forget God and just let worry take over. Is that going to do us any good? No. So if we do it his way, then the peace of God that passes all understanding will do what? Protect what? Our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Did you realize that? Our hearts and our minds need to be protected. How does that happen? By turning the situation over to the Lord and just saying, you know what? I believe you're bigger than the problem. I believe you're more powerful than the problem. I'm not going to worry or fret or be full of anxiety about whatever. I am casting my care upon you because I know you care for me. You're bigger than I am. You're smarter than I am. You're greater than I am. You're more powerful than I am. And if you can't do it, then who am I to do it? And so, Lord, I turn it over to you. I'm presenting it to you with thanksgiving, believing that your divine intervention is manifesting itself. And thank God, I'm just going to sit back and be worry-free. I know that you're at work in my situation. So I trust you to protect my heart and to protect my mind with what? With peace. That passes all understanding. Amen. Then notice this. Then the model of peace. Do we have someone who modeled peace for us? Well, look in the book of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Storms of life come to all of us. No one is exempt from experiencing a storm in life, right? There arose a great storm on the Sea of Galilee and of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Storms come to all of us. On the Sea of Galilee, there were some pretty nasty storms that would take place. And really, they would take place at a moment's notice. The wind would kick up. I think it's about 141 feet deep. Uh, it's, it's basically surrounded by agricultural you know, landscape and all that. And it gets pretty warm. And sometimes when that wind would kick up strong, it would produce 10-foot waves on the shore and even bigger out there at sea. And so it would be a very difficult thing to contend with. So this happened. And here it is, a situation where even the Son of God finds himself in a life threatening storm these people that were sailors they knew how to sail and fish they were fishermen you know that they knew how to deal with the sea and all the different conditions that existed they're panicking for their life as a matter of fact they said we're perishing have you ever felt that way that you're going under all the circumstances around you are dictating to the fact that you're going to not make it jesus is sleeping on a leather pillow, one translation says. Really? First of all, I wonder how is that possible? Did you ever see Rembrandt's rendition, the painting of this situation on the Sea of Galilee? Did you ever see that? They say he captured it wonderfully, but did you know that it was stolen? And did you know that it's worth $100 million? <laughs> A hundred million dollars. That'll get you a lot of pizza. (laughs) Sure will. I'm telling you. Mm hmm. Yeah. So uh, Jesus is sleeping. How? The boat's almost full of water. It's going like crazy back and forth from all the swells, and he's sleeping on a pillow. They wake him up and say, Don't you care? This is a characteristic of no faith. We're dying and you don't care. We're dying and you don't care. We're going under and you don't care. You ever say that? That's no faith as far as God is concerned. And Jesus gets up, looks around. Three words. Peace, be still. Instant calm. And we were so worried. Then he said... Now, why don't you have any faith? How is it that you don't have any faith? What an example, what a model. You want to bring peace? Speak with authority. Doesn't have to be a long, elaborate prayer. Speak with authority. Peace, be still. He knew he had authority over all the created works of God's hands, he knew that. As the second Adam, not as God, but as the second Adam. He knew, I've got authority. This is no big deal. Isn't that something to think about? No big deal. Peace, be still. And just like that, there's a great calm. Look in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Something we're going to bring up here, I'm sure, as time goes on, since we're heading toward the Christmas season. Look at what it says. Front of us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the what? Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. In the Hebrew, it's talking about sar or shar shalom. Sar or shar shalom. And that's where you get the expression Prince of Peace. Now, the word sar in the Hebrew you could say there's a negative connotation to it. In other words, like he's a warlord of peace, a dictator. If you want peace, you've got to submit to the dictator. But that's not what this is saying here. What this is saying is that Jesus is the one who removes all peace disturbing factors from any equation to see to it that peace is secured. So Jesus is the prince of peace. Who's the one who came to remove whatever it is that causes anxiety, worry, discontent, lack of peace in people's lives. You could say this, that Jesus, he is our peace offering before God. You go back and study the offerings that they had to sacrifice before the Lord. He is our peace offering. You ready for this? Only he could do what he had to do in order for all of us to have peace with God. Only he could do it. So he did exactly what was necessary to be done. Not as a warlord, but as the one who would take the punishment that prevents us from having peace with God upon himself. And what a sacrifice that he made for us to achieve that kind of peace. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Once again, connected to the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill, peace. Toward all men. So here, he's come as the Prince of Peace to offer himself as a sacrifice for peace, the peace offering, so we can achieve peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace with others as well. Only he makes this possible. So if we're going to be strong in the Lord, then we're going to be strong in these areas. We have the belt of truth, we have a working knowledge of the truth, and we rightly divide the word of truth. We understand our righteousness before God. We are right with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. That's why it's the armor of God, not ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But also our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we recognize the need to be stable as we walk in march through this life or if we stand against any form of darkness in warfare. Thank God the whole outcome is this. God wants us to have peace with himself and peace with one another. Now, when it comes to some of the, let's say, methods, look at, look at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. Did you know we've all been called to peace? This is a calling that we have upon our lives. But if a unbeliever, unbelieving, the unbelieving depart, let them depart, a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to what? Peace. We've all been called to peace, to live in this realm of peace. God doesn't want us in turmoil, anxiety, full of fretting and worrying and all that. He wants us to be at peace with Himself and others. Now, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, notice this. If it is possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with those you love. Live peaceably with all men you kind of wonder how can that be achieved well as much as it is in your power in other words you do what is necessary whatever you need to do to achieve peace you be the one to do it now you may get rejected and that's okay but you did your part some remember what jesus said when you go out into the world and you preach the gospel to every creature Some will believe and be baptized and get saved, and some will not believe. And those who don't believe, shake the dust off your feet and keep on marching to the next one because there will be those that will listen and they will come into the kingdom. There'll be those that will probably be offended by the fact that you will even say they need salvation. But that's okay. You did your part to introduce them to God's saving grace. So when it comes to living at peace, it's with all men. And we all have the responsibility and the duty. And when we get before the throne of God and he asks us, you know, what did you do to achieve this kind of peace? And you can say, I did. I went to them. I did exactly what I needed to do. And whether that was accepted or rejected is on them, not on me. Now next, look in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Some of the things that Jesus taught that sometimes are overlooked. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remembrance that thy brother has ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. What's he saying? You're going to worship me and you have ought in your heart against somebody or somebody has ought in their heart against you. You want to make that right first. Look how important this is to God that he doesn't even want us to, to get there and worship him without first seeing to the fact that we Try to reconcile with people that there may be issues with. So that's important, living at peace. Look at the next one. This is Isaiah 26 and verse 3. And this has to do with us as an individual. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind strays away from the truth and gets bombarded with all kinds of thoughts and suggestions of the enemy. No, that will keep him in perfect peace peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. How many times have we all been guilty of this? Give your situation over to God and then five minutes later, take it right on back. (laughs) Right? Haven't we all done that? Sure. We don't understand sometimes the schemes, the strategies, the trickeries of the devil. You know, He'll make certain that once we give it to God that He attacks us immediately to get our focus and attention off the fact that God's in control of the situation now. You turn it over to Him, make you look at yourself or look at the situation to take it back. To get us what? Out of peace. We got perfect peace when our mind is stayed on Him. Now, I'm fixing my mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father far above all satanic efforts to get me out of peace easier said than done isn't it because the mind wants to just vacillate go to and fro and just think about this that the other thing we need to protect ourselves from that but here our feet must be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace that we are actively involved in reconciling others to god so they could have peace with god and then we're actively doing our part to reconcile relationships, whether it's ours or someone else's or whatever. So look at the next one. Here we have now the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The Roman shield was two and a half by four and a half. I fit perfectly right behind that thing. I just nestle myself right down, you know. It's designed to protect the entire person's body and being. They were a little bit shorter back then. Maybe I'm in the wrong era, I don't know. But, and the the kind of shield that they carried, they would stick them into the ground and they would hunker down, you know, so that when the fiery darts were shot from the walls of the enemy, then they would just enter into the shield. Now the shield was made of hide, animal hide, and it, was, it would cover the four, 2 and a half by 4 and a half foot uh, plywood. And it would be soaked in water before they went off to battle. So that when those fiery darts or arrows that were shot would enter in, it wouldn't get to them. It would get to the shield and the water would quench you know, the fire, put the fire out or extinguish it. That's what this shield of faith is designed to do. Now, can you imagine the size of the shield of Goliath? Some people don't realize the fact that he had to have a guy carry it for him. Now, you would think as big as this guy is, he wouldn't need that. But remember, no matter how big you are, if you get a fiery arrow shot into you, you're being, that could cause some trouble, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So he had this uh, armor bearer or shield bearer that would bring out the shield and get it before him to protect him. But anyhow, I'm not going to have us look at these scriptures, but this is the piece of armor that stops the success of Satan's deceptive schemes and plans and desires that he has for our lives. And so it's important to us that we use it to cover our entire being. It's our first line of defense to stop those fiery arrows. Well, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, like I said, we won't read it, but Jesus illustrates to us how it's to be used. He's there in the wilderness. He's up on the mountain. He's fasted and prayed. And now he's challenged. He's challenged in all three departments or dimensions of a man's being. Spirit, soul, and body. And the devil starts with the body. Because after 40 days, he's really, really hungry now. Now, remember this. The flesh is always going to act up. And he's using this as an example to let us know the flesh will always act up for one reason or another. Here, it's the reason of hunger. 40 days, 40 days. 40 nights, nothing to eat, and now the body, after 40 days, begins to really get hungry again. Because, see, you lose that hunger after so many days. Well, the devil comes along and says, well, if you're hungry and you be the son of God, then turn these stones into bread to satisfy that need. And what does he do? He lifts up his shield of faith and says, what? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then, You know the next three times, the soulless realm. Throw yourself down. The angels will come and protect you. According to Psalm 91, he said, no, no, no. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We're not going to be presumptuous here and do something against what the word of God really teaches. So he understood that. Well, then he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, all this will belong to you. If you'll just bow down and worship me, you won't have to go to the cross. You want all this? I'll give it to you. You don't have to go to the cross to achieve it. It's mine now, and I'll give it to you. And what does he say? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him alone. And that's all there is to it. He puts up his shield of faith in all three dimensions of his being. And what happens? The Bible says, and the devil left him for a season. Looking for a more opportune time. Do you know when it's not an opportune time for the devil to attack you or me? When you're in the Word of God, when you're built up in the Word of God, when your spirit man is strong by feeding upon the Word of God and praying in the Holy Ghost, guess what? He goes, I better back off for a while. But when we get busy and we get involved in all kinds of different things, and who knows, maybe he hurls at our, our way, whatever, accusations and all that, well, then it's a, it's a good time to attack. Even Jesus he came back to attack that way as well. But the shield of faith is designed to quench every fiery dart of the devil. And you know what? He has many of them and he brings them our way. But praise God, because we have a working knowledge of the word of God, we don't have to succumb to whatever he's bringing our way. Now, the next section of the scriptures, we're not going to put those up either, but I'll just quote them to you. So then faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, we walk by faith. Notice that verse in there. My mistake, it should be 5-7, not five seventeen. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Oh my heavens. If the shield of faith involves walking not by sight, but by believing something that we can't see, that we don't see, while we look not at the things seen, but the things that are not seen, the things that are seen are subject to change, but the things that are not seen are not subject to change. What is he asking of us? To look beyond this realm. To look beyond our five senses. To look beyond what we see here, feel, taste, smell, touch, all that. Look beyond all that. And develop a faith in a living God who even though you can't see him, you trust him. You believe in him. You live with an understanding of his heart and of his will for your life. So that's what he's saying for us to do. And then 1 John 5, 4. What a wonderful verse of scripture. Are you born of God? Then who is he that overcomes the world? He that is born of God. And how does he overcome the world? With his faith. You see, once again, I want to go back and let us know this. We're not going to have a successful life by running around from here to there and everywhere. Thank God that you can get your need met sometimes that way. But the bottom line is this. Find out. All about this armor. It's the armor of God. It's designed to help us overcome all the wiles of the devil. To put to naught the strategies of the devil. To stand against every evil force that comes our way by the devil. And as long as we're living on this planet, the devil is going to be what? Targeting our lives? Why? Because we are a threat to him and his kingdom. And that's why. And so he tells us, Major in this. This isn't a minor thing. Major in it. It's my armor. It's not Saul's armor. It's not the world's armor. It's not natural armor. This armor is mine and it's designed to help you overcome anything and everything the devil brings your way. So get to know it. Get to prove it. Walk in it. And look at how successful you can be. Now, In, you'll notice in that section there, I wrote this out because this is something, I brought this out many, many times, but it bears repetition. There is a confession unto faith and there is a confession of faith. And because of this misunderstanding of the two confessions, it's created a lot of tension in the body of Christ. We've been called heretics, we've been called lunatics and every other name you can think of, extremists and all that, Only because people fail to recognize or realize that these two confessions are important to understand. There's a confession that brings faith and there's a confession that releases faith. And so if we're not going to bring faith into our lives, it's going to be difficult to confess our faith, to release our faith, to achieve mountain-moving power. Now, this is not something that's new. When Jesus was on this planet, do you know he made positive confessions about himself? I am the bread of life. That's what he said. I am the light of the world. Didn't he say that? I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. He made all these declarations of faith. Declaring who He is. And when we teach faith, here's what we teach people to do. It's not a reality in the, in the moment you hear it. But it can become a reality the more we confess it. With His stripes I am healed. By whose stripes you were healed. But that could be the furthest thing from your heart. But we say it and we bring faith with his stripes i am healed You sent your word to heal me and deliver me from my destructions. I want to thank you that I am what the word says I am. I am delivered. I am set free. I am made whole. I am delivered from the powers of darkness. I am translated into the kingdom of God. I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me. I am a world overcomer by my faith. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. And you keep on saying it and 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 saying it until it finally registers inside the heart and then You release it and say, now, mountain, get out of here. Get out of here. But if you just take it one time and just say, well, mountain, move. It didn't go. See, it doesn't work. That's because you don't understand the law of faith. Oh, to understand that there's two confessions of faith. One that brings faith and one that releases faith. When I tell the story about the angels that I studied when I was at school and how I released the power of my angel to go and bring my... uh, tapes back that were stolen from my car. I really never had much teaching on angels like that before. But for that whole week long, this uh, minister was teaching on angels. And all week long, I kept hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. And How does faith come? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, the moment I saw they were gone, the moment I turned around, I start walking back. You see, I was almost, I was there, but I didn't know it. Someone stole all my tapes. Oh, man. I'm so upset someone stole all my tapes. I'm going to go back and tell everybody someone stole my tape. And I stop. Wait a minute. I'm in a public place, courtyard there. Those are my tapes. Someone reads them and or listens to them and they get saved by them, thank God, but they're mine. Angels of God, I release you in the name of Jesus to go and bring my tapes back. When I released that, I'm telling you, there was power in that. And I knew it. Turned around and said, forget all that, let's go. Went back to school, came back home that night. It's just someone brought me all my tapes back. Knocked on my door opened up and said, these belong to you? I said, yeah. Who are you? I don't know anybody there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and gives me all my takes back. There's a difference between bringing faith and releasing faith. And I'll show it to you. Look at Romans chapter four. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, and how this is covenant relationship, covenant talk and all that, and how when God entered into the covenant with Abraham and Sarah, what did He say? From now on, there's going to be an exchange. Anyone that just gets married, guess what? You change your name. And when you change your name, you may not be used to being called that name, but you're now called by a new name. When God came, made a covenant of marriage with Abraham, he said, you're no longer Abram, but you're Abraham. Y-H-W-H, I take this. My H, put it in your name. So now when people, when you say this, you hear this, you're in covenant with me. And what did he do? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look, look at that exchange of names. Sarah, no, no longer S-A-R-A-I, S-A-R-A-H. We put the H in because this is covenant relationship. So now we're in covenant relationship. So when I hear Sarah, when I hear Abraham, what are they saying to each other? Father of many nations, mother of many, father of many nations, mother of many. It took 25 years of saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. And saying it. Anytime he was called Abraham, father of many who can't even have one child. Father of, many, father of many. 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 Sarah. Same thing. God knew how to inject this law into their lives by changing their names, by putting his H in their name. Guess what? He didn't overnight develop strong faith. Let's read these verses first. Be not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the dead of Sarah's womb. But he, was, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Was he fully persuaded when he was first told that? Absolutely not. No way. They were so not absolutely aware of that, uh, that they had strong faith. You know why? Because they had a child. He had a child with Hagar. It was a work of the flesh. We're gonna help God out in this situation. And he said, No, 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 no. You and Sarah will have a child like I said, period. Oh, I guess you meant it. Yeah, I meant it. But in that declaration of faith, you can see God at work doing what? Causing her insides to be recreated to be able to bear children. See, this is work. This is the whole thing about this. We want freebies. We just want to go somewhere and get all my needs met. But he said, no, no. You need to be one who labors in the word of God, who rightly devised the word of truth, who recognizes who you are and what you have in Christ because you studied the word of God, because you poured yourself into the word of God, and you take the time to be like E.W. Kenyon. Read some of his books we have in our uh, uh, bookstore out there. He said, he told his wife, honey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go into the woods for three days. And when he went into the woods for three days, he got out his Bible and found every I am, who I am in Christ, in him, in whom, in all that. You could read a book out there. We have In Him, it's called. It tells us who we are in Christ. And I'm going to declare it. I'm going to say it in the woods. So he's by himself in the woods. I walk in love. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus more than a conqueror to him that loves me. And he would just go there and just constantly just say who he is in Christ and what he has in Christ, what he can do through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Who is my strength? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he did this for three solid days, fasting and praying and just declaring the word of God over his life. See, it takes work to do something like that, to have this transformation takes place. He comes back home. He says, honey, do I look any different to you? She goes, no. He goes, I'm going back out into the woods he went back out into the woods and kept and did it again. See, it's not that easy. But that doesn't mean it's not true. You see, it takes effort. It takes work to find out who we are and what we have. And to be honest with you, if we're honest with all of ourselves, we're not going to get transformed because we want to get transformed. We're going to get transformed because we put in the effort. You don't get... Muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime just because you want them Wouldn't that be nice be like eat your spinach Popeye. Boop, there it goes Some of you don't know who Popeye is do you? <laughs> what about olive oil? <laughs> oh Lord He kept calling himself who he is in Christ until it transformed his life. And that's what we need to do. Same thing. It takes work. It's the shield of faith that we're putting together so that we could stand against it. What does God's word say about that? Be careful for nothing, so I'm not going to worry. Cast your care upon me, because he cares. he cares for me. You care for me. Keep on saying it. I endure long. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm never envious. You say, but I'm not that way. Well, keep on saying it until you're transformed by the Word of God that the Holy Ghost is going to take and make a reality in your life. That's what this message of faith is all about. Let's uh, conclude here. Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Didn't He? He said it all. I am, I am, I am. Well, look at this. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Can you imagine these two and a half million, three million people, these Israelites, they just got out of Egypt. They should be shouting the praises of Almighty God. They see the wonders, the signs, the miracles. 4,500 tons of manna coming out of heaven, a million gallons of water coming out of a rock to take care of their needs, their physical needs, and also their livestock. Can you see that? When they see a, f- <laughs> by day, a fire by night and the Red Sea parts and all that, and whoa, that was really a big one. God did a big one right there. All these signs, all these wonders, all these miracles that took place at 10... Uh, miracles that brought Egypt down to its foundation and then they get before the promised land and God says it's a land that flows with milk and honey I'm going to care for you there, I'm going to take care of your needs there, you're going to have grapes that are so big you've got to have people to carry them out on a stick, they're so big okay and when they get there we can't do this these giants are too big these walls are too fortified Let's go back to Egypt. Really? And God says, Oh, I'm sorry I brought you to a hard place. I'll help you get back there. I'll even give you a cloud by day and a fire by night to go back there. And what does he say? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You tell those stick, stiff-necked people who saw my signs, saw my miracles, saw my wonders. But when it came time to believe my word, they wouldn't. They're not going to see the promised land. They're not going to see the full benefits of the gospel. Why? Because they didn't see a miracle. Well, they saw miracles. They didn't see signs. Well, they saw signs. How about wonders? They saw wonders. Red Sea make you wonder. Right? How does the bottom of the ocean become dry? That'll make you wonder. He said... You tell them what they said with their mouth is what I'm going to give them. They will die in this wilderness. But tell Joshua and Caleb, mm-mm, you're getting in. You had another spirit, one of faith. You acted on my word. You believe my word. And that's another story in itself. But it's another teaching in itself. But it's part of the shield of faith. We face situations and we say they're impossible. Well, don't we serve a miracle worker? Don't we serve a way maker? Don't we serve a promise keeper? Right? God wants us to say, it may look horrible. It feels horrible. It sounds horrible. But you know what? No matter how horrible, no matter how awful, how evil it may be, as far as I'm concerned, this is what God said and so that's what I'm going to say. If He said my wife Sarah is going to have a child, she's going to have a child. Period. And that's the point that they got to. You meant it. Yeah, I meant it. Okay. We line up with it. The gospel doesn't benefit anyone who doesn't mix faith with it. So no matter how much of it we know, until we start getting serious with God and start saying, you know what? Praise team, come on up. And start saying, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. God has to be right. Let God be true and every man be a what? A liar. Let these physical evidences lie. Lying vanities in Jonah, lying vanities, but God is true. God is true. That's what he wants to hear from all of us. I don't feel like doing this, Lord, but you said to do it, so okay. I don't think this way, Lord, but you said your thoughts are higher than mine. Okay. I tremble at your word. I dare not side against you.